the Premier League on OTV. Here's Marcus Rashford, back to show again. Left footed shot, low, and he scores! Luke Shaw makes it 2 0 to Manchester United. The very best expert analysis on your phone and for free. Download the OTB Sports app now. The Sunday Papers on Off the Ball. You are very welcome back to the second hour of Off the Ball on this Sunday. Willow Callahan sitting in for Joe Malloy. It is time for us to review the Sunday Papers with Timmy McCarthy, former Irish basketball captain and coach and well-known commentator from the Olympic Games just gone by and also journalist Johnny Ward. Just a quick look at the back pages today. Dominated by two things, really. The All-Ireland final from yesterday and Tyrone's victory against Mayo and Cristiano's return to Manchester United, particularly dominating the British papers, but some of the Irish papers too. Uh, the back of the Sunday Independent, and we're going to be talking about Paul Kimmage's uh, first piece of his tracking of Michelle Smith a little bit later on. But the back page is Tyrone too hot to handle. That picture of Paulie Hamsey will feature across three or four of the newspapers, that exact picture of him lifting the Sam Maguire. But that is their back page headline. We'll be talking about Joe Brawley, who's gone in particularly hard on Mayo, uh, calling them time wasters, football's greatest time wasters even, on the inside of the Sunday Independent. But that's the back page of the Sunday Indo. The Sunday Times going for a very simple uh, caption, just champions. Tyrone Sink Mayo to pull off an improbable All-Ireland senior football title. And you've got some of the Tyrone players there in front of Hill 16 celebrating with the Sam Maguire uh, with the article on the front from Michael Foley who charts how unlikely this Tyrone success was given that one month ago they put out a press release saying that they will be unable to play in the semi-finals of the championship due to the extent of their COVID-19 issues at the time but here we are a month later after winning the delayed All-Ireland final by five points against Mayo. The back page of the Irish Mail on Sunday is Hand of Fate uh, where they're showing Niall Morgan celebrating at the full-time whistle contrasting emotions there with Ryan O'Donoghue who missed the penalty against Niall Morgan that hit the post in the second half which was a crucial moment for Mayo uh, throughout the game yesterday and he's a hit on the double. Dream return for Cristiano Ronaldo uh, to Old Trafford. Uh, There was a plane protesting against Cristiano Ronaldo which went up just before the game Uh, so we'll talk about the duality of Cristiano Ronaldo's return uh, to Old Trafford in a moment Hans Sam high and wide is the back page of the Sun Sport today again pretty much exactly the same picture of Paddy Hamsey uh, which is used on the back page here uh, celebrating Tyrone's fourth ever All-Ireland senior football success also an interview with Brian Dewar and they were speaking about the fact that Brian Dewar felt there was no reason that they couldn't win the All-Ireland in the first year post Mickey Hart good to be back again Cristiano Ronaldo hailed an unbelievable moment as he scored twice as Manchester United beat Newcastle by four goals to one and also a transfer story about a former Republic of Ireland player in Declan Rice allegedly there's a tug of war between Manchester City and Manchester United to try and sign the England holding midfielder this summer Red Devil's dream is the back of the Sunday world which is Cristiano Ronaldo on his return to Old Trafford Um, he scored three times the last time he played against Newcastle in 2009 just the two at Old Trafford yesterday in that 4-1 victory and all hailed the red hands again Tyrone lifting the Sam Maguire at the end of the game at Croke Park Mayo's crash curse continues in their pursuit of Sam 11 All-Ireland finals in a row which they've lost and the back page of the Sunday Business Post is uh, Matt Cooper who's been looking at a variety of topics but he talks in the bottom corner about Stephen Kenny Uh, remarkably very little uh, coverage of the Republic of Ireland team maybe everyone's worn out after the last 10 days or so of the international window Uh, there is a little bit about Stephen Kenny's uh, future uh, throughout the newspapers um, but Matt Cooper saying that Kenny must deliver results soon if he's to survive. Three more fixtures to be played and the friendly against Qatar so four games effectively will decide where the FAI will be handing out a new contract at the end of the calendar year to potentially keep him around for 2024. So Johnny Ward and Tim McCarthy are with us. Tim how are you getting on? I'm good. How are you? Yeah I'm not bad and we've got Johnny Ward here in studio alongside me as well. Tim, if I can ask you first about Joe Brawley, because it's taken a lot of the headlines because this got spread because it was put up as an online piece last night. Joe Brawley's gone in two-footed on Mayo here. He's gone in two-footed on Aidan O'Shea after his performance in the All-Ireland final. What do you make of Brawley calling Mayo the biggest time wasters in Gaelic football? I believe he's over the top is my first reaction. I think that it's very easy to have a, have a go at anybody or any team, you know, when they lose the final. And, you know, first of all, Joe's from the North of Ireland, so he'll be very pro any North of Ireland team. And that has been evident in this commentary for many, many years. But I do believe that, you know, Mayor had a bad day. There's no excusing that. Um, a lot of their players didn't turn up. You know, they missed opportunities. 
But I don't believe what Broly said is, is a fair reflection of what, what they attempted to do. I mean, you know, they're not time wasters. These guys have put all the effort in. They're doing their best, you know, every year. As you said earlier, they've lost 11 finals in a row, which is really heartbreaking for any team, but particularly for a county like Mayo that are waiting for over 70 years. And I didn't really feel in this piece that there was anything substantive that I could say, well, actually, that's a very good point. He talks about a text from Pat Gilroy and the final whistle about culture, but he just, just, you know, like, he just doesn't go into, you know, anything other than personal attacks on James Horton and personal attacks on, on uh, Aidan O'Shea. They didn't have good days, either of them. James Horn didn't have a good day as a manager. Aidan O'Shea didn't have a good day as a player. But I don't. I just feel that like he was completely over the top. And, you know, I read it, obviously, because, you know, um, it's, a, it's a piece that's getting a lot of, of traction. But I think it was, um, you know, full of clicks. And he, he makes the point, Mayo's full of clicks and favourites. His culture will not change on the Horn, which made Tyrone's job easy. I just think that Joe Brawley, you know, really is a lot of cliches in, in, in his piece. So didn't do anything for me, Will or Johnny. It just really was, you know, um, hit, the, hit the guys when they're down. And I just thought to myself, there was no, you know, assessment where if you contrast that with Colin O'Rourke's, which we'll talk about later, mm. there was an assessment of why the game was won or lost. So not for me from Joe Brawley in this week. Yeah, no holding back here, John. Like just looking at some of the uh, quotes from here, it was embarrassing and enraging, even if it was inevitable. The shame is that with a high performance culture based on merit, Mayo could be so much more than this. I got a text from Pat Gilroy, as Tim mentioned, on the final whistle. It just said culture. He called the goal chance in the 25th minute, which Aidan O'Shea was involved in, the easiest goal chance he has ever seen in an All-Ireland final. And towards the end of the piece, he said, under this manager, Mayo are time wasters, soul destroying for good footballers and good clubs, soul destroying for the people. Yeah, I suppose the Indo is the best, uh, the best and the worst of its two you know, headline columnists today. Um, obviously, that we we get to talk about uh, later on. We we'll get to talk about Paul Kimmage's um, piece, which is absolutely fantastic journalism. And uh, I think this is gutter journalism, to be honest. From Joe Brawley, um, I, I've I've had this uh, argument before with people in the media, um, with a former boss actually, about um, Gaelic games in general, and particularly given amateur players, the sort of dressing down that uh, Brawley has given Aidan O'Shea here today which I think is an absolute disgrace to be honest I wouldn't have I think Aidan O'Shea was lucky to start the game but James Horne decided that um, he was going to play him for whatever reason maybe to use the mark maybe to you know his, his aerial ability um, I think in Gaelic football at the moment if you don't have mobility um, like David Moore and, and Aidan O'Shea you kind of get found out now because it's such a quick game in terms of movement um, so that's just my two cents on it um, but you know Mayo, Mayo supporters wake up this morning with probably the worst hangover of all times because you know the game was disappointing but this is just a typical Brawley article where he personal attacks as Timmy says um, and he's made so many personal attacks down the years um, I think he's very very lucky to be writing in any newspaper to be honest it's completely out of order um, and as much as you can call out James Horn, you can call out Aidan O'Shea um, the manner in which he does it I mean Typical Brawley here where he says the, the name drop and text message would be a particular favourite of his and I presume that he asked Pat Gilroy was it okay to put in that message so I'm presuming that the game was finally over in the 25th minute which is nonsense by the way that's absolute nonsense the game nonsense. was in the balance, the the was in the balance. Yeah. that's absolute nonsense Aidan O'Shea was presented with the easiest goal chance I have seen in a final the throne keeper was caught out and had left his goal empty chasing back fearing the worst his life must have flashed before his eyes he needn't have worried Over. F sake the Mayo man beside me said my brother Prunches texted me as I said our boy whatever that means um, and then he obviously goes on to uh, speak about the, the soul destroying nature of this Mayo team because they're time wasters um, good footballers and good clubs soul destroying for the people and that's sort of a pop of the culture that um, the manager oversees um, Mayo were responsible for arguably one of the greatest sporting one of the greatest moments in the history of Gaelic games really when they dethroned Dublin the greatest football team of all time were dethroned by Mayo who just refused to give up and uh, I feel very very sorry for their supporters this morning I wanted them to win the game um, as somebody who lives you know near the Galway man saying that it's not an easy thing to say no I mean my brother spoke to me about this during the week and he won't mind being uh, his name being dropped from the sky either but he was, he was speaking to me about the WhatsApp group at home with all the lads at home and to be honest most of them wanted Mayo to lose 
Um, and we live nearer to the Roscommon border than the Mayo border, which would have been, which is quite important in terms of the rivalry, because there'd be more sort of animosity towards Roscommon. But there's definitely a lot of Galway fans who didn't want them to win yesterday. But I've seen um, the hope over the years. We spoke to you know Mayo fans um, down the years and what it means to them. Uh, you know, I, I, when Galway won the hurling All Ireland, it was just like. It was just this 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 massive massive relief that you know I I finally saw them win something in winning All Ireland and Joe Canning would win All Ireland and and that day the emotion of that day spoke spoke to Galway fans who were crying grown men like me who were crying and I was on a cycle yesterday and for some reason the saw doctors came into my head uh, to win just once that would be enough. Um, and I was just thinking this is the day for Mayo they just want that one win and I've real sympathy for their players I've real sympathy for the manager I've massive sympathy for the supporters I've no sympathy for Joe Brawley whatsoever Tim when it comes to this Mayo team and you're living just on the Roscommon side of Athlone I saw the bridge in Athlone was uh, lit up as green and red and most of the country were probably behind Mayo which suited Tyrone perfectly I saw a guy going to a jersey saying the entire country against Tyrone we don't care which maybe summed up the attitude going into the fixture but I think the story and the romance around the idea of 71 years and all that weight uh, potentially being lifted if Mayo had lifted the Sam Maguire yesterday particularly for that group of players having, having played 7 or 8 All-Ireland finals there seemed to be a real feeling that after beating Dublin they were on the cusp of actually doing this there was definitely a sense of people wanting them to win and as Johnny said some people with local rivals may not but in general I think there was a feeling that they waited long enough but sport isn't about waiting long enough you know you don't get anything handed to you free there was also a sense though Will that I, I spoke to you know a number of my friends in Mayon I didn't think they were good against Dublin I mean I didn't think Mayo played well against Dublin I think Dublin imploded for whatever reason which was very unusual I mean you know they've won six in a row and for them to implode in the semi-final of North Ireland you know I think maybe give Mayo a false sense of where they were because you know Mayo just kept playing in that semi-final if you go back to that game Dublin started the game were in control just lost their way imploded in the game and Mayo just kept going and they just kept trying and trying and eventually they got over the line and maybe because of the 71 year wait and maybe because of of the, the desire that they have to win this Sam Maguire, this elusive Sam Maguire at this stage, that builds up psychologically, it builds up mentally in the players, and you might feel at times you're better than what you were. And you contrast that now with Tyrone. You know, Tyrone have been very quiet. They've slipped in under the radar. You know, I mean, there was a lot of talk, obviously, about the, the COVID situation pre the Kerry semi-final. But since the Kerry semi-final victory, there's been no talk about Tyrone. Mm. I mean, you know, all the media were talking about, and, and, and even former sport, um, GA players were talking about, this is Mayo's year, you know, because they did throw in Dublin. So I do believe that the day they played Dublin, Mayo were not as good as, you know, people in the end, you know, said. I think Dublin imploded. And I think Mayo came into this game as favourites for the first time in an all Ireland final in a long, long time. And that's a big mantle that you have to carry. Where Tyrone slipped in quietly. Yeah, Tyrone have this view, even though under the court management, they're changing this view of the world is against us. And I think that the, you know, and the, the court managers I have are not really into that. So Worthers want 31 counties against Tyrone. Tyrone didn't, didn't really care. They just came in with a game plan. They stuck with their game plan. And I think for me, the disappointing thing for Mayo was everyone knew how Tyrone were going to play. And Mayo didn't have a plan to, 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 to perform against that. But that's the disappointment. Not the individual players. And as Johnny said, they're amateurs. They're doing their best. And some days their best may not be good enough. Just to counter that, um, you know, the, the Indo, the Sindo has a load of coverage on this game. Like it's, it's the kind of I suppose the celebrity stuff of Brawley which which wrongly gets the focus really when Billy Sheehan has an article which I thought was well worth reading and um, Billy Sheehan obviously comes from a strong kind of coaching background mm -hmm. and you know I've, I, I spoke to um, I spoke to a guy who's involved in coaching last Sunday about the game and he fancied Tyrone um, and he was saying that we were talking about the evolution of Gaelic football in the sense of their kickouts um, against Kerry. Um, but Billy Sheehan basically says that all the Tyrone players now are able to play every sort of style of football there is. Um, obviously, there are three cornerbacks, that's, or there are three in the full back line that scored in the first half against Kerry. But basically, forwards are defenders, defenders are forwards. And he spoke about the fact that Tyrone did unleash some kind of. Um, you know left field stuff like the the high ball which obviously was so crucial for the for the goal um, and and different stuff that Mayo didn't necessarily expect their kickouts were were um, the kickout stats were were much more um, in their favour yesterday spoke about Connor Myler obviously as well mm. um, but it's, better it's, range of kickouts yesterday John which yeah too. A, a range of kickouts and. Um, 
it's hard not to have massive, massive um, regard for them, really. You know, they, they were so... I mean, in fairness, they, I, they're still obviously going to be question marks over the whole the COVID situation and all that, and, and justifiably. And I think um, I think Kerry deserves some credit in all of this because I think Kerry were sportsmen. Um, they wanted to play. They wanted to get to an All-Ireland final the, the way that, um, you know, you traditionally do. But, you know, if, if, if similar rules have been applied to Rowan, just be, as, as applied to Sligo last year, Rowan have been... Quite, quite possibly thrown out of the championship and Kerry would have been perfectly within the rights if they had said there's been a date set for this fixture absolutely you have to feel that weekend absolutely like you know and, and Tyrone kind of then started stonewalling questions um, on Covid which in fairness they, they, we had Brian Dewar on the show one Saturday I thought he spoke very well but they did get a bit of luck in that regard but take that away from the, the equation and um just this this attitude that they have like the self-belief that they showed in that game um, and the self-belief they showed against Kerry was astounding and Joe Brawley described them as a Midland football team which which is interesting in an article where he was basically Slayton Mayo I, I think that's a bit harsh like they, they have good footballers and they've a range of footballers all over the pitch um, and it was absolutely engrossing to watch and, and Gaelic football is in this weird position where really only a handful of games are of any real interest all year but when they are everyone wants to watch it and I, I, I got that feeling I was down in Cork yesterday and we watched it um, in a bar in Glengariff and the place like there were just TVs everywhere everyone was watching it somehow there were Tyrone and Mayo jerseys in the arsehole of West Cork and everyone was engrossed and just as the game went on the, the place just went really flat because it was like here we go again um, Mayo, have, Mayo have just somehow managed to lose again but um, I thought Billy Sheen's article was good because Tyrone have Tyrone's I mean I thought for example I thought Mickey Hart was, was way too long in that job and I think he should have been replaced but look how quickly the, 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 the change has made a difference and I, I thought Billy Sheen's article was good because it spoke about the good coaching that they've gotten and um, the stuff they brought to the game that Mayo either didn't expect or weren't able to deal with It indicates in a way Tim the decision that Tyrone County board made around Mickey Hart because there was that feeling over the last two or three seasons and three years ago they got to an All-Ireland final that there was a group of players who were coming through that had potential to do a lot there were plenty there who thought give Mickey Hart the job for as long as he wants it but they made that decision to have a change in management and as Billy Sheehan writes about and you know, there's also you mentioned that Colm Keyes has got a piece uh, just across uh, from Joe Brawley talking about um, the young players coming through how adaptable and well coached this bunch of Tyrone players are it seems to have been the right decision to jettison Mickey Hart when they did and Shane McGrath in the Mail on Sunday talks about it as well, about the fact that, you know, it was like his, it, it's only a year ago Mickey Hart has gone when you think of it. I mean, and Johnny's point is probably um, well made that he stayed just in the, in the game too long. But it takes courage to get rid of somebody who's in the game that long, who's been successful, for, you know, for, for Tyrone. A, a county had never had one until he got involved. So it was a big call for them. But I do believe that when you when you win it at the end, you know, we, we sometimes lose sight of, of some of the facts. Tyrone, you know, have not become a brilliant team overnight. I mean, they were very average and many times during the championship and obviously during the league in that sense. But what they have, they have, they have players who can play in any, any position mm. and they have footballers all around the pitch. And that's a big thing. Also, what, what, what seems to happen is that the, the mentality of Mickey Hart in the latter part of his career was that the whole world was against us. Seems to have not been what, what, what Dewar has brought into it. Like he's sort of given him a bit more of a free reign, it looks like. In that sense. And talks about that as well, Timmy. So that again, Colm O'Rourke talks about that as well. He does, yeah. And I was just going to make the point as Colm O'Rourke said, you know, there's a there's a loosening of the of of, of, of the, the the reins in that sense. I, what I was impressed just uh, with, with Tyrone was first of all, I was impressed the fact that they can all play football. Okay, and they're all connected and committed to the same program. You know, there's nobody like whatever their game plan is, they're all committed to the game plan. And the game plan is obviously pace. It's versatility, it's flexibility. You can be a cornerback or a half forward within within a thirty second play phase. It's also about that it's one team, and that's one thing that you know Mickey Hart had for many years, and definitely you know the court management have for Tyrone. It's one team, and they're all focused on the same mission. And if Brody's article has any credence, and as I, as James have believed, it has little credence, if any credence, you have to question politically. Are they all connected in Mayo as they were in, in, in um, obviously in Toronto? I believe they are. Mm. But what I saw yesterday from Toronto was it was a, it was a connection on the floor, all driven by the fact that the county board had the courage 
to get rid of Mickey Hart. And when you look at other managers in, in, in GA who are around a long time, sometimes the county boards don't have the courage. And the problem when you have managers around a long time who are not bringing new talent forward is you lose a generation. And the decision that Tyrone have now gives them a new generation instead of the potential loss of a generation. Some of this fairly common, lads, across uh, some of the other articles. Michael Foley's uh, piece, which carries just inside the Sunday Times on the page two and three, uh, makes the point about the misery for Mayo. But he says what will hurt more than losing this All-Ireland final, where there was that expectation that Mayo were going to get over the hill, was the type of performance that they put in. And similarly, David Brady is writing page 69 of the Sunday World today. And he says, quite simply, Johnny, that it feels like Mayo didn't show up after a week of huge optimism and the feeling that they were going to win. A flat performance then follows. Did he did he reference his tweet yesterday morning? I don't know. I don't think it's there, but I think he was uh, hitting back at a few people that were very quick to uh, tweet him last night afterwards. Yeah, he got a bit flowery, got a bit emotional. Yeah, yeah. We spoke to him on off to, on OTBAM the other day, and um, like it was I don't know, it was half seven in the morning, and the man was absolutely mad up for the All Ireland final <laughs> when most of us wouldn't be out of bed, um, and he did kind of um, I suppose he embodied that yearning you know and it's 70 years I mean very few people I'd say a handful of people saw Mayo in an All-Ireland in the flesh were still alive so they've known nothing uh, in that county but heartache after heartache after heartache and after last year you wouldn't imagine that they went into combat in the All-Ireland this year thinking we've a chance but the way the stars aligned for them they just didn't really they just didn't perform I mean some people will retrospectively say that they celebrated the semi-final too much there might be an element of that. Um, I I didn't I didn't see that to be honest. I thought they they were it was worthy of um, it was an occasion that was worthy of the celebration. Um, but they didn't they just didn't really perform. And I I think take away all the stuff about you know mentality and showing up on the day and all that. Maybe the forwards just weren't quite good enough. And I think that's a point that has been made in a couple of the articles as well. And um, the the missed penalty obviously was critical, but. Some of their shooting again. It's a traditional Mayo failing kind of let them down, and I, Tyrone, Tyrone just kind of grew in confidence as the game went on. But it'll be a hard one for it'll be a hard one for Mayo to take. And I, I think my 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 own county in Galway, I think they'll be somewhat emboldened by the fact that Galway were so good against Mayo in the first half that maybe you know maybe we're not a million miles away, but. Um, they just didn't really show up for whatever reason and I've, I've massive sympathy for Mayo fans because it's hard to take it was whether you like it or not they've all built themselves up that they were going to win this game pretty much and they didn't well Brady says that one of the real difficulties for next year for Mayo is that Kerry in Dublin will be back with a vengeance after what happened to them in the semi-finals the route becomes more difficult to get to the All-Ireland next year because the qualifiers and potentially you know, Super 8 style tournament could be there uh, depending on what's agreed on at the upcoming Congress and therefore the path is going to be a bit longer and some of the teams that were knocked out over the last couple of years will get a second chance unlike over the last uh, two seasons and he also makes the point uh, within the piece that this is in his opinion the hardest defeat that they have suffered of any of the All-Ireland final losses since 1989. He says, this one is the hardest, maybe the hardest to take. It wasn't about just being pipped to winning line by a great Dublin team as in recent years when we've been playing our best football. Yesterday, we just didn't turn up for some reason and it'll be a long, long, bleak winter out west. We'll rise again in the spring, but this loss will sit in our minds for a long time. And Tim, when it comes to Mayo, maybe there will be a recycling of the team. We talk about players like McLaughlin and Keegan and Aidan O'Shea who are playing in a seventh All-Ireland final yesterday uh, those players will have decisions to make they've lost so much experience you know with the likes of Andy Moran retiring in recent seasons there's some interesting young players coming through like Conroy and like O'Donoghue but there's some players who are probably going to be at a crossroads and will have a bit of thinking to do this winter There's no doubt that those players will have to make decisions. You know, age catches up with, with, with everybody ultimately in, in that sense. Just two points in the David Brady um, piece. I think it's the hardest defeat because it's the Corkland defeat. I think if you go back to 89, you know, as a Corkland, when we beat them in the All-Ireland final, you know, my buddy Liam McHale, you know, said he was devastated after that defeat. If Jake Mead, you know, replayed defeats, you know, um, they were devastated after that. So I think the defeats are always devastating at that point in time. The difference was that they went in as favourites, which was which make it harder. In the Sunday World, next to Brady's piece, though, I think Spillane, Pat Spillane makes a very interesting point. They conceded one goal in the championship. Mm. Now, here's a team that conceded goals for fun in the league. Tyrone conceded one goal. And goals win, win matches. They conceded no goal in the semi-final against Kerry 
including extra time and obviously not in the final. That's a serious performance by a team. Now, we know they play a sweeper and we know they, they, they play a swarm defence, but to, to, to concede not only one goal in, in, in five championship games is serious. But the Mayor players will definitely have to look now, as I said, because Tyrone players are coming as a new generation. The mayor players are a mix of the old generation and, and some new players coming on board. And it's unlikely that some of the older players will continue to keep going. It's just unlikely because they lost a lot of players after last year's defeat. They lost a couple of players in, in the seasons before that. And it's likely that you know players will have to look very hard at themselves and say, have I got it at this level now? Have I got the mobility that Johnny talked about earlier on? Have I got the desire to do it all again? Because David Brady did call out the second point I want to make about the fact that the qualifiers will be back next year. You know, it's it's it, the journey will be tougher. There'll be more games involved from that perspective. So it may not be as easy. You know, a knockout environment gives weaker teams a chance to get to a final. When you have qualifiers, weaker teams get no chance to get to a final. And I know Johnny's county goal will be will be feeling that you know we have a chance next year. You know when you look what Mayo did this year. So I think there'll be question marks about some of the older players. Do they want to give it another shot? Because it's not you're giving another shot and saying you know we have a chance of winning. Like this was probably their best chance of winning in a long, long time. In the sense that um, the big two were gone, Dublin and Kerry were gone. But the problem was you know they they came up against a really st- talented Tyrone team who performed on the day and Mayo did not perform on the day. Uh, hope springs eternal for all the teams about Sam Maguire 2022. We'll take a very short break. When we come back we're going to be taking a look at Paul Kimmage's piece about Michelle Smith. The Sunday Papers on Off The Ball. You're very welcome back to the Sunday paper review. Willow Callahan sitting in on this Sunday on Off the Ball. I'm joined by Tim McCarthy and by Johnny Ward. Uh, Johnny, we're taking a look at Paul Kimmage's piece, which he flagged up uh, when I was in the papers about a month ago that he was going in search of Michelle Smith. That one was very much a preview to say we're going to be looking at Ireland's greatest ever Olympian in terms of medals won. But the story, of course, is a lot more complex than that after 1996 and the sample tampering and the suspension she took. And Michelle Smith like wrote to Liveline just a few weeks ago when the Olympics were on and complained that she had been airbrushed out of history and that her medals are still very much valid. Uh, but Paul Kimmage's, for four pages across the Sunday Independent, began his profile and his look into Michelle Smith starting in the 1990s here. Okay, so in, a, in, a, in, a, in another world, I think my dream job would be to edit a Sunday sports paper. Do you remember when they had the title back in the day? Mm-hmm. And I um, I just, I was probably, I was in school at the time, I was probably half aspiring to be a sports journalist and I loved the idea of a Sunday sports paper. And kind of eventually that came and went, whatever. But if I were to have a Sunday sports paper, this is exactly the type of article. It's a four-page spread that clearly involved a hell of a lot of work. Um, not only the people he's interviewed but like I've almost images of Paul Kimmage being in the National Library here uh, looking back on, on old articles like I did as a student um, because he goes back to like the 80s and 90s reels off the Irish Times the Irish Indo some of the some of the articles of that time but it's part one so it's almost like getting excerpts from a book here mm-hmm. um, and it is just fantastic journalism not only the stuff that he um, finds and brings up the way he he weaves in um this this kind of trip of Gary O'Toole and Michelle to a U2 concert in Phoenix and this is a typical Kimmage article where he puts it into numbers and sometimes I feel it works better than others I think today it works unbelievably well so there's nine numbers in nine different parts of the article and number six is love is blindness I don't want to see won't you wrap the night around me oh my heart love is blindness in a parked car in a crowded street you see your love made complete thread is ripping the knot is slipping love is blindness that was the final song played at the U2 concert that Michelle and Gary attended um, in April 1992 in Phoenix nearly 30 years ago so I was kind of that got me wondering how did he know what was the last tune how did he get this, the playlist but it, it's all completely irrelevant because um, she was in she was falling in love with um, the coach who obviously would be so instrumental in her life and so her forth. husband Eric yeah. her husband Eric um, who I have to say I didn't know anything about really as an, and as an individual I'm not mad into the Olympics in general so I like I'm, I've kind of I'm a bit like exactly the the person uh, that Kimmage sort of talks about here and that has been complete omerta it's like as if Michelle Smith didn't exist for the last 20 years or whatever um, but he goes into um, 
he goes into De Bruyne's kind of background um, as a disc thrower and um, some really really fascinating lines about him he dropped his father as his coach, travelled to Guadeloupe and started working with Henk Kragenhoff, a performance consultant with interesting views on supplements and nutrition. Read into that what you Interesting views is uh, quite the euphemism, yeah. Then he started to improve. A silver at the 1989 World Student Games. He was studying to be a teacher. A silver at the 1990 European Championships. A silver at the 1991 World Championships. And gold every time the, the late Hans Van Wissen, a journalist with Del Volkskrant, sought his views. So that's brilliant journalism there. Brilliant writing, gold and silver and all that. I am not somebody who lets himself be pushed in a certain direction. If the majority turn right, then I turn left. I used to get screwed for it. But how many people read the paper? How many read the sports section? How many of them would actually be interested in Eric De Bruyne or remember what I said? And even if they did and object to it, would it bother me? The answer is no. In the past, I used to be shy, except in the discus ring. I am still reserved in company, maybe even suspicious. People say hello to me because I happen to be good at throwing the discus. That is no concern of mine. And then um, he details how Gary O'Toole met him after I think what was his final Olympics performance and didn't take a didn't like him at all took an immediate dislike to him mm. um, but like really fascinating stuff about Gary and the this is when the Michael Carruth Olympics and Michael Carruth got gold and um, the Northern Boxer got silver um whose name escapes me at the moment Wayne McCullough Wayne McCullough so it's effectively they were on the plane back and this, this is such an amazing image when you think about it if, if it's true for, for the article that McCullough and uh, Carruth were basically told go out the front of the plane and you, this is like you know that scramble when like it's one of the real um, really difficult moments in life when you're when you're in a plane but you're seated somewhere around the middle and you're taking that even money the pair will I go out the back will I go out the front mm-hmm. so with these and Gary O'Toole who's so depressed at this moment he's so depressed because all his hopes and dreams they basically had to go out the back they were told you go out the back and let the winners out the front he said he, he couldn't get over it for weeks he was so down and despondent um, it obviously then talks to Shane Gordon um, who was a very good uh, friend of Michelle's they sort of swam together as as um, young swimmers and it, it obviously talks about O'Toole it talks to O'Toole it goes back to Michelle's uh, youth it goes back to her upbringing um, goes back to her relationship with De Bruyne and um, I have very little interest in swimming and I enjoy this piece from start to finish I can't wait to read the second part next week it does that thing the first piece has to do it sets the scene very nicely and the forward sell is Golden Wonder is going to be part two so part two is going to move from 92 I would think to Atlanta in 96 and you get the story of the gold medals and the big performances mm-hmm. and Atlanta is going to be part two that's what everyone wants to read about yeah because it it, it's, um, it details that she's um, now I wasn't aware of this but it says physically she's not really a swimmer um, and I think one of her early coaches told her dad she's she's no chance she won't make it she's not physically there but she was brilliant in her early days but it kind of it it, it, it then the, the article goes on to show that she seemed to, to have sort of le- reached some sort of a plateau or limitation um, but even the use of the images in the piece there's a, there's a photo of a very young Michelle um, and Shane in a, in a piece where they're kind of sharing a trophy real fresh faced mm-hmm. and then I mean the quality of the image isn't great which which arguably adds to it because I know, it's, it's a little bit too small the, the to show pa- the yeah, viewers the, the passage of time but this is um, after a com- sorry and swimmers including Michelle Shane and Gary Gary O'Toole would coach George Gibney at Dublin Airport for the European Championships in 1989 and you can just imagine you're looking at 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7 about 12 people in that piece and Givney's yeah. hovering in the bottom right and you're just yeah. wondering what's going on in those people's minds like um, and this piece isn't big enough to go into the whole Givney situation but he is kind of referenced uh, on occasion because of his role in Irish swimming um, I, I, don't, I don't think uh, Paul Kimmage um, bites his, his tongue when he, sp- when he speaks about um, his evil nature or whatever but it's just a brilliant piece as you say it sets it up remarkably well for next week and um, I'm, I'm just intrigued by Michelle Smith now I'm just like where as you say that, that, that intervention in the Olympics like why, why, why did she do that why does she does she feel that you know um, this never happened she, she still has her medals I guess great piece 
Tim, what did you make of it? There's a lot going on here and a lot of things being woven through about Eric De Bruyne and his doping past. As mentioned by John, you've got uh, Gibney hanging over the very middle piece of this. Uh, you've got a lot about O'Toole going from being, you know, remarkably talented, European medalist, great hopes for Barcelona. It doesn't happen for him. And we've got the lead up to Michelle Smith going to Atlanta in 96. I think over the four pages, there's a lot happening here in this Kimmage article. There's a lot happening, there's no doubts about that. But I love this piece. Well, I thought it's like a box set. You get a great box set. I wanted to, you know, read the second one, not wait for a week. Mm, like, that's exactly week it. Never moved, <laughs> yeah. Right? That's the way, the way when, I read, when I read it, I said, oh, God, you can't stop. So if, I, if I'm watching a series, you know, I, I, I sort of you know, dump everything for the weekend and watch the series because I want to get everything done. This has the, the um, that written all over it. The, I thought he set it up brilliantly at about the Texco Awards. I just thought to myself, you know, he talked about 1999 um, in Dublin, right, at the, at the Texco Awards. And for four years previously, she had been fated as a, a, as a superstar. And for the first time ever, she's now not even acknowledged, really. She, no one talks about her. You know, he, he called out that, you know, um, people like Sonia Sullivan, Darren Clark, it says Michael Donlan, um, but Des Carl and Kevin O'Flanagan were at the same table. Eric did most of the talking. She did very little of the talking. Uh, she watched the presentations. Before that, she was the Supreme Champion. And, you know, so there was no invitation. And I just thought to myself, whoa. So he's taken us to a point where, because, as Johnny said, many people don't even know about Michelle Smith. I mean, a lot of people in Ireland don't even know who Michelle Smith is, which is, you know, incredible when she won, you know, has the most Olympic medals of any Irish athlete in any situation. So I just thought that was a brilliant start. Then the next day I thought, I mean, I did actually enjoy the um, the, top, the U2 tickets. I was saying to myself, geez, I'd like to sit next to Paul McGuinness on a flight sometime and, and get, that, get that card because, you know, Gary O'Toole thought he was going to the cheap seats. I think it was ZZZ and uh, he ended up oh, sure with forward, Michelle yeah. Smith in the VIP situation you know the other thing which Johnny just briefly mentioned is she wasn't built for swimming now that was a fascinating technical piece for me so as a coach in GA and a coach in basketball that was really a brilliant technical piece of information that she had small hands and small feet and wasn't short and was short at five foot three so she was not very tall and then her feet and hands were, were small which obviously is a problem for, technically for swimming but what she had was that she would go through Award. So she had a great desire in that sense. The thing that actually shocked me, because let's be very clear, Eric De Bruyne, there was a question mark about him, you know, consistently. What really shocked me was the the, the call he made um, about Ben Johnson. I mean, that Eric De Bruyne says, you know, as far as I'm concerned, Johnson remains the prime athlete of the Seoul Olympics. He performed incredibly and fantastically. I don't care what way he's achieved this. No, yeah, that is yeah, scary. Yeah, yeah. I just thought to myself, that is scary now. I mean, for people, you know, who were too young to remember Ben Johnson, he won the 100 meters um, gold medal um, when he beat the great Carl Lewis and, and Linford Christie uh, to two, second and third. But he was caught for taking drugs and, you know, he lost his medal immediately afterwards. I think in it goes on history as a race that most of the people on the, po on the line apparently had taken drugs at some stage. But Ben Johnson, was it was world news. This was the biggest news at that point ever in the Olympics. And Eric De Bruyne calls out that, you know, he was the, the, the his word was, he was the prime athlete. This was a drug cheat. Ben Johnson was a drug cheat who was caught um, taking drugs. He won a gold medal illegally, falsely, and yet Eric De Bruyne. So that gave us a real insight into his mindset. And uh, Johnny made a point about dropping his father and that. The other thing I thought as well, Will, was, you know, imagine being told go down the back the lose and what you're really saying the losers go out the back door like it had nothing to do with Karuta and McCullough you know they could still have come out first with their medals and got all the whining and dining that they deserve but for every other Olympian to be told go out the back door in other words like we don't want you like you're not relevant and I just thought to myself not just in the context of, of um, Gary O'Toole and Michelle Smith but everybody else I thought to myself that was horrific you know, yeah. that was actually saying to people, we don't value you. You actually have no relevance to us unless you win a medal. Yet two weeks before that or four weeks before that, they were saying the opposite to these people in that sense. So I thought that the the thing then about Shane Gordon, you know, he, he her friendship with Michelle Smith and, and to me, the part I really thought was brilliant was um, when, when Shane Gordon talked about walking down to Mount Juliet, 
and the night Michelle Smith won her first gold mm, medal. Yeah. I was just overwhelmed with joy for her. That's... I couldn't believe it. I was like, oh my God, Michelle, I was so happy for you. And then a moment later, she was struck by conflicting thought. <laughs> and as we're live on radio, I'll say, oh, shy it. Glad, glad you actually, that phrase, Tim. Um, I, I, I think, Tim, you, you've um, you've disgraced yourself a bit there now because that's like kind of saying this is how Line of Duty ended uh, today and everyone who like wanted to read the piece, you've just given the last line because it is absolutely brilliant. It's so good. And it, it's hard to think, like, the, the Sunday Independent, this article up until recently would have been free online. Mm. I mean, and, and like the, the, the actual joy of buying a newspaper, you can't read this article on your phone. It's too long. This is a piece to, and, and there it is crackling in front of you. If you don't don't buy a newspaper buy it for articles like this because it's just as Tim says it's just a fantastic piece um, start, Tim has mentioned the start and the end of it brilliantly brilliantly put together but also importantly Johnny the way that this piece is set out it's set out to be in newsprint it's very clearly um, formatted in a way that goes across the four pages you mentioned the numbers that are used the way that the pictures are actually used throughout the piece too this is a piece that's meant to be read on physical paper absolutely and um, you know I'm, I'm very much a traditionalist I, I still buy the paper very regularly um, I love having a coffee um, you know, reading the paper, and it is so sad that a generation of people are just basically they don't know a how what it's like to read a newspaper, and b they just spend their their days on their phone. And um, it's 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 a beautiful thing. It's tangible. You can smell it, um, and and you can maybe leave this on the on the kitchen table, and people can open it and read it um, rather than your your dirty. Um, phone or whatever and it's just uh, it's it's proper journalism and it's it's kind of the centrepiece basically of the paper it's almost like a little pull out part one the girl from Barcelona um, there is the actual piece and there's Michelle and do you know what I was thinking about as well um, people have done worse things in life than whatever Michelle did or didn't do do you know what I mean she's she's still a human being um you know, and, and I have some sympathy for her on, on, a, on a human level, despite the fact you could question maybe what she did in terms of the Olympic sister. I do have some sympathy for her because people have done a lot worse things in life. And, um, and Michelle Smith was stressed as well, Johnny, because this discussion is going to ramp up with the piece next week. Mm that she didn't test positive in competition mm-hmm. and particularly for that Olympic Games she will say those medals have been earned and those medals are still very comfortably sitting in her home yeah and um, you know she she obviously has a right to to tell her story um, but we'll, we'll speak about allegations against other sports people like it's it's Michelle's even whatever she may or may not have done she's still a human being and um, I do wonder like if she goes into the local pub I think it was they used, she used to, the punching still I, I recall was, was always used to celebrate her success if she went in there now how would she be received you know mm. and I, I I think she was definitely I think this is I mean there's so many layers to this piece but Kimmage I'm just thinking of it now he goes out of his way to show how much she was in love with De Bruyne and love can do bad things mm. Tim before we talk about the football what do you think about the fact that like you were on the Olympics coverage just a couple of months ago and we saw all the successes of the Irish team and you see Michael Crute doing his uh, box jump after he wins the gold medal in Barcelona 96 is distinctly missing and no Michelle Smith when it comes to the uh, video packages that happen before the Olympic Games she has literally been written out of Irish athletics history really and she's been written out because of the, of the the, the uncertainty of obviously the end or mm-hmm. her end in, in that sense I mean she Michelle Smith would rightly say you know she was tested clean at those games so from her point of view um, she was tested and, and she was clean so her medals in her view are correct obviously then you had the situation with, I think was the, with, with the guys the uh, Mr and Mrs Guy uh, and the sampling and the tampering of the sample and stuff uh, and then the suspension so you know 2-2 two, two became, became 6 then and all of a sudden it was said well you know she was never clean she was I think it was Janet Evans if memory serves right was the American swimmer who challenged her in on the podium yeah. Yeah. in 96 and, and you know and so the the difficulty I think for for, for broadcasters in, in this case for you know Olympic coverage is that if you put something up, Johnny makes a point. She's a human being, and she should be respected as that. But if you put something up, do you have to qualify it? So if you put up, you know, she won these medals. Do you have to qualify by saying she was, you know, um, uh, she's interfered with samples afterwards? I mean, you know, just I mean, what if a crystal doesn't get, you know, doesn't get brought up either? If you think in the horse, you know, so so you just have to be careful because of the, I suppose the the issue that surrounds Michelle Smith. The sad thing for Michelle Smith is that if she was never um, taking uh, any su- substance that she shouldn't have, 
then her career has been unfairly uh, damaged, okay? Mm. If she has been taking them, then, you know, obviously only she knows that and, and the people that would have been there. But she did win four medals. She did win them as she was tested clean. And, you know, it is part of Olympic history. But then you had other people like Marion Jones won medals and, and other people over the years. And, you know, so there is a question mark. And I can understand why, why broadcasters would say, look, if we're going to say one thing nice about her, well, we have to qualify it. And then you end up with, you know, with, with a dilution of the thing. And the sad thing is that, you know, we've had, you know, um, I think only one person ever had a medal taken back, which was Warford Crystal, who was actually tested positive mm. at the Olympic Games. So, you know, um, so that's, you know, so for me, the sad thing is that Ayak is that she won four gold medals and she never got credit ultimately after 99 for them. And that's that's sad because there's many people now who don't know anything about Michelle Smith. And, and yet she's won four medals. I think, Timmy, people could exonerate her um, in the sense of if, if something did happen, if, if mistakes were made, people could exonerate her. I guess it's her defiance that people just can't take. Yeah, yeah, I think, Johnny, that's a fair point. And, you know, but if, again, if you're Michelle Smith, why would you not be defiant? You know, you're saying, well, I went to the Olympics, I won the medals and, you know, I was tested clean. And I just think the, the, the it's a bit like we talked with Mayo earlier, earlier on and that it just breaks your heart to think that there's a question mark about them. That's the thing. You know, we don't get a lot of good medals in Ireland. We definitely don't get a lot of gold medals in Ireland over in the history of the Olympics. And, you know, the country was in a high, and then all of a sudden there was question marks. And as you said, if she went into, I think it is the Putchin still, by the way, on, on the Nays Road as it's traveling <laughs> off the top and, and on the way down. It would be interesting to see what what would be said. And I think that people who are, would be of that of that era who were around then would just have, have, have differing views. But the reality is that irrespective of what we believe, okay, and, you know, she is in the Olympic history as having three um, or four medals, three of which three were gold. And that's something that isn't, has never been taken for her, from her. But then, you know, writing to Liveline, you know, was that, you know, that was her choice. Was that, did that do her any favors? You know, many people didn't even know who she was, so it made no difference. But don't forget, Director Brune said in the article, he doesn't care what people say. Mm. He said that himself in the article when he, you, you called that earlier, Johnny. He made that point himself in the article. He doesn't care what people say. So for me, it's just a tragedy of our sport that we had somebody who won all these medals and because of the question marks that later uh, hung over, she doesn't get any credit for winning those medals. And, you know, um, that's the travesty of it. Because if she won them cleanly, brilliant, and she should get the credit. But she did win them cleanly in the testing, but she just doesn't get the credit for her. And that's a travesty. It's a travesty for Michelle Smith, and it's a travesty for us sports lovers who love sport. And, you know, as somebody who, who was involved in the Olympic Games and basketball for a number of uh, campaigns, you know, you just want to do your best for your country. But, you know, her reputation was tarnished because of what happened what was called out of the games by Janet Evans and what happened a number of years later. And that's sad. That's sad for Michelle Smith in, on a human level. Okay, that's because what, ultimately sport is only about you know a, a bit of fun for all of us at the end it should be mm. it's sad for Michelle Smith on a human level that she doesn't get the credit or recognition and I just think going back to the piece with Paul Kimmage he sets that up brilliantly when he talks about in 1999 at the start of the article her fall from grace how quick it was and I just think Johnny we should always remember the fickleness of of of, of mm. adoration in sport mm. right okay so she went from three years of being the star everyone wanted to talk to her and be with her and then all of a sudden she was you know excommunicated practically from from the top table and from the mm. being fated by others that's how fickle sport is Aidan O'Shea yesterday um, you know and, and his teammates lost if they came back and won next year they'd have forgot yesterday so that's how fickle sport is and for Michelle Smith the f sad thing is that no one gives her credit sorry not fair enough most people don't give her credit for what she did in 96 in Atlanta and that's something she has to deal with in her journey well lads we're going to have to talk about football the far side at 3 o'clock because we're very uh, quickly heading towards the news at 3pm still to come on the paper review we'll be talking about the coverage of Cristiano Ronaldo ruthless Ronaldo lives up to the hype is one side of the Sunday Times and on the other protesters say we won't be silenced those who are protesting against the ongoing civil case against Cristiano Ronaldo uh, accusations of rape which were made against him in 2009 haven't gone away and a plane was flown above Old Trafford uh, with the message 
message believe Katrin Mayorga uh, just before the game was due to kick off at Old Trafford so uh, we'll be talking about that just the far side of 3 o'clock we'll also be looking at the coverage of Stephen Kenny which has died down a little bit compared to Monday or Tuesday of this week where the claims are being made that he had very little chance of getting a contract renewal if Serbia were to beat the Republic of Ireland in the World Cup qualifier on Tuesday night Paul Rohn's piece today claiming potentially there could still be a contract for Stephen Kenny at the end of the upcoming three World Cup qualifiers and that friendly against Qatar uh, we'll talk about that and also bring you a bit of Jonathan Hill from during the week the FAI CEO who spoke about Stephen Kenny's situation and we'll talk about Gordon Elliott who is set to return to racing having served his suspension and the owners who have stayed loyal to him uh, we'll talk about Dennis Walsh's piece which is in the Sunday Times around him and also Leona Maguire probably the most celebrated Irish female athlete of just the last little while she's going to have a hell of a competition with some other female athletes uh, like Rachel Blackmore and Kelly Harrington when it comes to sports person of the year but her perseverance and the way she played under pressure at the Solheim Cup also across the papers today we'll discuss those stories after the news at three the Sunday papers on off the ball you are very welcome back into the Sunday paper view. Willow Callahan sitting in for Joe on this Sunday afternoon. Johnny Ward is with me, and so is Timmy McCarthy. We're going to talk about a lot of the football stories in the papers now. Uh, just to give you a taste from what's been happening with the dialogue around Stephen Kenny before we look at the writing in the Sunday papers about the Republic of Ireland boss. Earlier this week, our reporter Stephen Doyle caught up with Jonathan Hill, the FAI CEO, and he asked him directly about Stephen Kenny's position and whether he is the backing of the association. Jonathan, just to ask you first, Stephen Kenny was asked last week about his position as the Ireland manager. There was talk of him being under pressure, possibly could lose his job if the results in the last international window didn't go well. Now, he did say during that that he was planning for the European Championship campaign 2024. Can you give any clarity as to where the FAI stand, how long his contract is? Have you looked beyond this current World Cup campaign? Look, uh, it, it's, it's very simple and very clear. Stephen has a contract until the end of July 2022. Um, in relation to uh, the current campaign, we as a board uh, review any international window at the end of that window. So on a, on a monthly basis, we'll be looking at the overall World Cup qualification campaign in November. Um, and as a board, we'll discuss all of the areas and all of the issues um, and yeah, we'll be thinking about it in terms of our own strategy and our own medium-term strategy, etc., etc. But um, uh, we'll have that conversation um, at that point. Would you agree that some of the reports last week, or with the reports last week, that said that he's under pressure if he doesn't get results, if he doesn't get winning results? Well, look, I think Stephen knows, and we talked about this earlier in our announcement of uh, the Sky uh, supporting uh, the. Irish women's national team uh, that we have an expectation before every game that we're going to uh, be competitive and win those games um, but football is football and uh, we've had a range of performances we've had a range of results and uh, yeah we uh, uh, we will review those as I say as we move forward. But does he need to win matches to keep his job beyond this current campaign? Uh, but, uh, as I say I'm not going to have that type of conversation until we get to the end of the campaign itself. Johnny Ward, fairly clear message there, which was the results have been mixed. We won't be considering anything about Stephen Kenny's future until these four games in October and November. And definitely no backing of his position currently from Jonathan Hill there. Yeah, but he says it's it's clear and simple, but it's anything but. I mean, it's like Oscar Wilde, the truth is rarely pure and never simple. Um, nobody really, you know, could could say after the, the, that um, highly kind of publicised uh chat that the various journalists had with Hill what he said there was almost carbon copy of what I read in the in the print media so he was obviously kind of sticking to a line he did uh, four interviews Johnny and almost exactly <laughs> the same line was used in each because I watched the TV news on RT and Virgin Media on the same night I think that was Thursday and exactly the same line came in both yeah um, so it, it was an odd one because you're you're kind of if you're, you're, you're thinking what's Stephen Kenny thinking after this is he does he know more than we know and everything is grand or is he thinking oh we're sort of screwed if we don't get results against Luxembourg and Azerbaijan um, or is he like I'll be grand there, there's, a, there's a lot of like the reason there isn't I suppose to, to, to extrapolate on uh, to follow the theme of vagueness here there's 
not much in the coverage about Stephen Kenny's day. I think there's a bit general. of Republic of Ireland fatigue maybe after the weekend, uh, particularly like. I felt on Monday and Tuesday there was very strong coverage that there had to be a briefing somewhere that three or four journalists had gone with the line that Stephen Kenny was under massive pressure if they lost against Serbia. I don't know who's leaking this stuff because, you know, I, I'm obviously close to Dan McDonnell. Do you reckon it was leaked, though? I don't know. Um, I, I, I don't know who's leaking. Is it a board member? Is it somebody else in the FBI? Um, you know, there, there's a theory out there that there are various camps. And um, with that in mind some of the stuff in the papers today was maybe tamer than I thought it might be um, and you know Shane McGrath has a piece in the mail which I think is quite fair really it's it's sort of it's neither here nor there in terms of oh he has to get you know the Euros campaign or he's been terrible it's kind of it, it assesses the fact that our, our results um, in general are, have been really really poor and Stephen Kenny has to reflect on the fact that you know, we, we don't have a goal scorer, um, but the, more to the point, the goals we've been scoring of late have been basically borrowed from the All-Ireland. I mean, hitting a fella's arse and scoring from a corner. And we haven't really been creating the chances that he'd like. There was something very old school about Serbia. I was saying this to uh, Jonathan Walters during the week that Ireland lived a little bit by their luck. Goalkeeper makes some good saves, some good last-ditch defending. And then the last 10 minutes becomes, let's get the ball into the box and score. That could have been the Nick McCarthy or the Martin O'Neill playbook. And, and more so even against Azerbaijan, where James McLean, I think, had more touches than any player in the pitch, um, which is not what, what we would ever want, really, because he, he's obviously one of our... Um, he's, he's a workhorse, but he's, he doesn't have a lot of technical ability. But with, with that in mind, and what I'm talking about, the, the strikers... Um, Paul McGrath speaks that Robbie and Stephen will sort things and it's like this this is just not going to happen and and Paul who's probably my favourite footballer of all time in some respects I got a lot of twick on I got a lot of sick on Twitter last week after being too hard on Stephen at Strog and Sazerbaijan um, and this is the Sunday world and he says it's high time now that somebody out at the FBI offices banged heads together and told Stephen Kenny and to take Robbie Keane onto his coaching staff so there's more chance of you and I being on the coaching staff John than that happening yeah yeah, and I think we do a good job actually. Um, but if we got as much time as Stephen Kenny, I think we'll likely get. Maybe we do okay, but uh, there, there there isn't really that much. I think there's, as you said, there's a bit of fatigue. It was it was almost discussed to death. But when you think like we've had this six game window, and this is the first chance on a Sunday, and the Sunday papers should be a lot about reviewing and kind of erudite analysis, or whatever. There really isn't much there, and a lot of it is speculation. Even Matt Cooper talks about Matt Cooper made a. I'd, I'd argue a questionable point in the, the Sunday Business back Post. Back page of the Business Post, yeah. Where he talks about Philip Brown is obviously leaving the IRFU and the, 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 the unpredictable nature of sport and that, like, I imagine being CEO of the IRFU is is an unbelievably um, good job to have and something you'd be very proud of. But because of the pandemic and all that, his pre, his successor um, is going to is gonna face a lot of problems. But he made a point that Stephen Kenny is only in, in the job, basically. Um, they can't sack him because they can't afford to sack him. It's, I'm paraphrasing here, but I don't think that to be true, to be honest. Um, Stephen Kenny is, is sort of taking um, a longer-term view. Um, now, it's convenient for him to say that as well in the sense that we've already been knocked out of this group. So it completely suits the narrative to say, well, to be honest, I was building for the Euros, which he clearly would not be saying if Ireland were top of the group which they're not so and you have articles in during the week saying that the FAI would have to have chats with their commercial partners who, who backed them for this campaign because well we didn't know that Stephen Kenny was writing off the campaign so an awful lot of nonsense as well, well to be the honest. commercial partners would never have expected Ireland to qualify for the World Cup in Qatar no, well, if they did they're idiots do you know what yeah. I mean they're yeah. absolutely idiots I mean we, we are not doing well in this group on paper we played very well against a, a bit of a ramshackle Portugal outfit I thought who were, who were poor on the night but we showed a lot of promise mm. we backed that up with a poor performance against Azerbaijan and Paul McGrath is absolutely right we need to be beating Azerbaijan but I, personally I'm in the camp that we need to take a longer term view but I don't think you'll be any wiser reading any of the papers put it that way read, read the Kimmage piece the stuff and Kenny not so much alright um, <laughs> Tim can I move you on to Cristiano Ronaldo because there's a lot of coverage about him and and there's a three-page spread effectively across the Sunday Times. And I think the way this is positioned is pretty interesting too because on the one side, you've got Paul Hurst's review of the game and Ronaldo's happy return and all the stats about how effective he was during the game in scoring the two goals. And ruthless Ronaldo lives up to the hype is the headline that they're using on page nine. But then across the way, you've got Rameka Myers' piece, which is there, which is discussing the protests which took place before the game by Level Up, who got 
got a plane and put a banner across uh, in front of Old Trafford saying believe Catherine Mayorga and for those who haven't been following the story uh, this goes back to a claim of rape against Ronaldo by Catherine Mayorga in Las Vegas in 2009 uh, there were all sorts of issues around non-disclosure agreements and Der Spiegel had put out some of the information around the police inquiries into it about a year or two ago so this story has been kind of hanging over Cristiano Ronaldo for a while but has emerged again because there's a civil case in the United States where currently Mayorga is looking to sue for damages civilly not criminally for 50 million dollars it's an intriguing little juxtaposition or juxtaposition that we have Tim between the two stories here and then if you go to the next page you have David Walsh also talking about Ronaldo so um, so it is fascinating it's it's actually the highs and lows of Cristiano Ronaldo is captured in these uh, sort of uh, three pages there's no doubts in that from a, from a footballing point of view first it's a great acquisition by United I mean he's he's a goal scorer he's a phenomenal acquisition um, to, to get he he does what he does he gets goals and there's no doubts he'll be a big addition to this United team so from a footballing point of view you couldn't have written the script better. I mean, David Watch makes it, I, I think, he talks about the biblical return of the prodigal son and, and fatted cows being uh, killed and having to celebrate it in, in his piece. And he also talks about Oli Gonosunska talking about it was a great goal, Ronaldo's first goal. It was a tap-in. So, you know, the emotions were very high, obviously, in a positive way in Old Trafford just for Ronaldo. And he got two goals in United beating Newcastle comfortably. So, on the, on the footballing side, it's the highs. There's no doubts about that, right? And then you contrast that. So when I was reading it, well, there's a contrast then with the low that is going on uh, in his life uh, with these with this rape allegation and uh, the, the civil suit that's gone on in, in Las Vegas, and the fact that you know it's not been forgotten. And you know this plane flying over Old Trafford just uh, you know the prodigal son has returned. You know Brian Robson made a point in one of the other papers about you know not since Eric Cantona. Um, came to United has there been such an atmosphere at a game so the high for for Ronaldo on his return and then this uh, protest which is very interesting because the, the, the Rebecca Miles the headline is we will not be silenced the protests are saying so that would indicate that you know this is going to be an ongoing uh, issue for Ronaldo at, at Old Trafford United obviously say the spokesman says they can't comment on it uh, in our piece um, she did raise one interesting thing though, about the Nike um, Twitter account because there's a caption about uh, and again and again and again and again and they've obviously you know s seen that in, in a very negative way in light of the allegation uh, that's been made um in, in las vegas so i thought her piece was excellent i just thought it was it, it was a very clinical piece okay it, it was a very clinical piece of of you know her view on and of the situation from that point of view and taking in level ups uh, protests and that um i thought that paul Hurst was just you know basically talking about ruthless ronaldo and the hype but i like david watch piece and the, the fact that you know um it is up up and away but that's you know even sasha is running away with the emotions and and you know over enthusing uh, about simple things he's yeah. a great signing for united but Did can he deal with this issue time will tell yeah David Walsh also makes the point that a lot of the Manchester United players look more comfortable having Ronaldo around and I thought particularly watching the game on Premier Sports yesterday the second goal Luke Shaw lays off a pass to Cristiano Ronaldo which is never intended to create a goal chance but just with the way that Cristiano is so single minded about scoring goals he bursts through the box and takes the shot and it caught the Newcastle goalkeeper out I think other forwards probably wouldn't have done the same just, just briefly on that yeah. sorry um well, the the um, I think it's significant that Rebecca Myers is a female journalist. I think mm -hmm. the context of that shouldn't be overlooked here. It's a powerful piece, um, and in the context of the highly questionable Nike uh, Twitter account, and again and again and again, that followed a few art paragraphs previously. Newcastle fans began a chant of "She said no." at points during the match. Ronaldo was quoted in legal documents published by German publication Der Spiegel as saying she said no and stopped several times about Mayorga on the night she claims he raped her. His legal team has claimed the documents are fake so you know you can see why there would be uh, an adverse reaction to that and it's highly highly questionable.
Yeah, and also not great up to yesterday that Ryan Giggs was uh, in the director's box at Manchester United while there are uh, charges against him potentially around domestic abuse, which I think will be heard in the new year. Uh, he, of course, disputes those claims, and Cristiano Ronaldo uh, also uh, says that he's not guilty of the accusations from 2009. Um, just jumping around a little bit, Tim, to Leona Maguire, because Dennis Walsh has got, I thought, a very good piece about Leona, who became the big star in the European team. You know, her rookie time to play in the Solheim Cup, her rookie year still on the LPGA Tour she's been brilliant but she was a huge star during the Solheim Cup and he's written about the way that she got better even when the pressure was on against the Corda sisters last weekend I thought this was a superb piece I just thought to myself it captured Leona Maguire you know it, it talked about you know what she is she seems to be gutsy she seems to be you know have great courage and as the pressure increased I mean look she was 135 weeks or something as the number one amateur in the world and she's you know she's a serious talent um, and 15 years ago she only took up golf I thought that was fascinating but the fact that when the pressure gets more intense she seems to have the ability to, to, to perform better and that's really something that is rare at the elite level in sport now the question is can she transfer that into the uh, the ladies event in the, uh, in the States next year um, because you know she hasn't won yet in that you know, when you consider her amateur career was so successful uh, he also talked as well in the piece about the um, the caddy you know, who was the, uh, Shane Laurie's former caddy and yeah. uh, Dermot Burton coming on, on, onto a bag and that you know for a three week trial and then obviously Howard has you know um, um, been very successful and then he talked about the coach Shane O'Grady the impact uh, and the, the walk that's you know and the road he ha- has had in building up Leona Maguire's success but I thought I watched the Siam Cup last week I thought she was a class act right throughout I do believe if um she would have had a fifth point because uh, Mel Reed didn't actually play too well in the in, in the game where they got a half point. So uh, it was a phenomenal performance by her. Um, it's definitely a breakthrough for her in the sense of you know putting her firmly you know in, in the radar now of, of of the people at the top of the game in, in women's golf. And in the context of it, I just thought that David Walsh captured that. But he did talk about her pressure. He talked about her being gutsy. Um, and McGinley made a point just at the top of that article as well about she's a, he said she's a seriously gutsy competitor and anyone who followed her amateur career already knew that I mean I just think that you know the people are talking the right things for me when they talk about sports people having courage having guts and obviously then having the skill and ability to be able to perform when the pressure comes on because that really what is it, it's about at the top level doing it when it matters and she showed last week she can do it when it matters despite the pressure and, and just a, a broader point about women's sport as well um, I was on the I was on the train today coming back from Cork uh, so I got in the train at 10.25 and there must have been 12 or 15 carriages and I was like mm. what's going on here it turns out the Cork Mogi team were on the train so the train was absolutely full of male and female Cork Mogi fans so that got me thinking about um, the what I was told was the viewing figures for um, the Me Dublin game um, which were off the charts on, on RT um, and then the Leona Maguire article um, as Timmy says beautiful article by Dennis Walsh and I, I, I'm not really interested in golf so I'm, I'm not really like I'll, I'll be honest with you I read this piece because I'm on the paper review and it's like well let's read the Leona Maguire piece but it's really really interesting but what I've noticed in recent times first of all it's on the RT website after last weekend and she absolutely dominated the most read but the top six stories were all female sport on Do- Monday top six all female sport you have uh, then the following page Davy Stockbrokers which I've noticed of late and I noticed this before now has decided that it's going to back Leona Maguire and actually in light of the year that Davy has had Leona was probably the one or Davy were probably lucky to have her on board yeah. rather than the other way around but Leona Maguire is there with Davy Stockbrokers um, a, a star in the making uh, in women's sport and the Irish football team can't get a sponsor yeah, men's team still struggling to get one. Skyrim with the women's team. Johnny Ward, thanks a million for joining us here in studio. Tim uh, joining us on Skype as well. Lads, have a good uh, Sunday afternoon. Thanks a million for joining us. The Sunday Papers on Off the Ball.